when astrology fails. I got a worried email from a student of mine this morning. He had a client who had experienced transiting Uranus conjunct her moon, but nothing had happened. I should put that in quotation marks. He was concerned and embarrassed that his predictions had failed. I offered him a few possible explanations. As I responded to him, I realized that his question would be a fine topic for our newsletter and podcast this month. The first point I want to make will sound pretty dogmatic, but I do believe it to be true. Astrology never fails. I would quickly add that astrologers themselves often fail, but that's a different issue. Astrology is fundamental to how the universe operates. Astrology failing would be like gravity failing, only a quantum possibility, so to speak. But astrologers' predictions sometimes do fail, and it behooves us not to be afraid of acknowledging that fact and perhaps learning something from it. There are a lot of potential issues here. Let's have a look at them. First and foremost, symbolism is not literalism. I have beaten this drum since long before the inner sky was a gleam in its daddy's eye, so I don't want to belabor it here. Still, this core point is the heart of the matter when it comes to astrology's alleged failures. Let me give you an example. An astrologer sees Uranus entering someone's seventh house. The astrologer predicts divorce, and no divorce happens. Has astrology failed? No, it's the astrologer who's now got egg on his or her face. That prediction was way too narrow. Its rigidity would doom it to being wrong more often than it was right. Think about it. The majority of long-term partnerships have survived one or the other of the people experiencing that exact transit. That's one obvious point. The real point, though, is that while divorce is indeed one possible expression of the Lord of Earthquakes and Lightning Bolts, Uranus, entering the house of marriage, but it's not the only one. What is really happening is that a pulse of individuation is in play in the client's personal relationships. That can play out in a lot of different ways. Maybe a wife tells her husband that instead of going on their usual vacation with his family this summer, she wants to attend a week-long astrology seminar. She is afraid he will object, but instead he says, great, great. That's actually a relief. I was hoping to skip my family this year too, rent a motorcycle and ride across New Mexico. I was afraid that you would be upset about skipping our vacation. Now what actually happened there? They've given each other some Uranian breathing room. They are happier and closer for it. That's a better response to this transit than divorce. Now, did nothing happen? Of course not. 
the astrologer who foresaw a divorce simply had too narrow a preconception about what was going to happen. Symbolism is not literalism. In this case, the client got the meaning of the transit right. Sadly, this 100% possible higher response to Uranus entering the seventh house lay outside the scope of this astrologer's imagination. That kind of interpretive error alone accounts for the lion's share of situations where astrology did not work. Never underestimate your clients and never forget that there is a higher evolutionary meaning in every transit, no matter how bad it looks. So there's one reason that astrology sometimes seems to not work. Let's look at another explanation for the apparent failures of the system. Humans live in two worlds. We humans naturally walk around in physical bodies, our senses engaged with the outer world, bouncing off each other, dealing with our needs and our appetites, wrestling with our circumstances. But we also live in our inner worlds. Even our understanding of the physical outward world is conditioned by our inner attitudes and moods. If you doubt that, try reasoning with a depressed person that life really isn't so bad. On top of that, every night we close our eyes. We surrender our engagement with the outer world and descend utterly into the abyss of our inner lives. That deep psychic underworld we all inhabit is at least as central to our experience as is the outer world of our jobs, the news, and the daily grind. The point here is simple and it has fundamental relevance to our notion of astrology failing. Sometimes an astrological event unfolds 100% on the inner plane. It is still an event, except that its nature is purely psychic. It has no direct external behavioral correlates at all. Again, let's consider our example of Uranus transiting into a woman's seventh house. This time, let's say she's single and has been content to remain that way. Let's say that her attitude towards relationships has boiled down to why buy a cow when milk is so cheap. Now that's a funny line, but it also reflects a certain brittleness. Let's say that some of her defensive attitude about relationships derives from a fear of being vulnerable. Let's say that external social conditioning, always the enemy of the planet Uranus, has forged a resistance in her to trusting anyone. Let's postulate, for example, that her father abandoned the family when she was little. Let's say that she has surrounded herself with friends who also protect themselves from their own loneliness and sour grapes fashion by devaluing relationships. Uranus entering this particular woman's seventh house might be about her claiming her own true individuality back from those external influences. Sitting on a park bench, having a long talk with herself, she realizes that in her true nature, she is a loving partner, or at least wants to be. 
She longs for that outward reality to manifest, and it takes courage for her to even admit it. Now, as she sits on that park bench, no one rides up on the proverbial white horse and sweeps her away to a castle on the hill. She's still single, maybe lonely. Outwardly, nothing has changed. But if we say nothing happened when Uranus entered her seventh house, angels laugh and shake their heads. Something enormous has happened. It just happened between her ears in the psychic realm rather than in the world beyond them. Add a little bit of imagination and a little bit of human empathy, and we can quickly realize that this Uranian change of heart in her can be understood as the prelude to some happy, intimate possibilities in her future. And that without this change of heart, Prince Charming could fall on his knees before her and she'd turn away thinking, nice guy, but he's too short for me. The point here is that we all live in an inner world as well as an outward one. It is possible for astrology to work on the inner plane without leaving a visible ripple on the surface of life. This is one of the strengths of the system. A good astrologer must be alert to that reality. A bad one thinks only in concrete outward terms of predicting what will happen, and even worse, limits the scope of that question to the atoms and molecules of the outer world. Let me add one more note. While I stand by the basic point I am making here, I'd like to affirm that it represents a rather rare situation. Generally, because of the way the principle of synchronicity weaves through astrology, there are outward expressions of most transits as well as inward expressions. They may be subtle, but they are usually there. Our protagonist in the previous scenario might, for one example, experience a 30-second flirtation with a stranger. See the connection with the interchanges? Subtle, but it's there. She might click on match.com, take one nervous peek, and then quickly X out of it. These are obviously small events, easily ignored, but they are subtle outward manifestations of the far more dramatic pattern of inner realization. An astrologer could be forgiven for not noticing them, but angels notice everything. Let's move on to another reason for astrology's seeming failures. So, how badly does this transit need to happen? A nearly fail-safe astrological principle is that no transit or progression happens unless it needs to happen. They all represent evolutionary necessities. They are all essentially soul contracts we signed with the universe along with our first breaths. One way to express all this is to say that we're all sick, spiritually sick, and transits and progressions are the medicine. 
Calling us all sick does sound unfashionably negative, but ultimately, why are we here on this earth in these physical bodies? Earth is not the most prestigious address in the galaxy. It is good to be alive, and there is no shame in being in these vehicles of flesh and bone, but it's just a stage in a larger evolutionary journey. That larger evolutionary journey is reflected in your birth chart while transits and progressions simply trigger its unfolding stages. The point is, they always happen when they need to happen, always at the right time. They arise to expand something in our awareness, to correct something, to heal something. With those broad philosophical points established, let's recognize that some of us might need firmer correction than others. How far off target are you? How much of a bite has spiritual laziness taken out of your higher potentials? Like the rest of us, you've had your soul victories, and you've probably had your pratfalls too. All this leads to the critical point. The vigor of a transit is connected to how big a correction is appropriate for you. That's not something we can see in your chart. That has to do with how well you have been responding to your chart all along. Back to Uranus transiting into the seventh house. Even if we are in a happy relationship, we still have our own paths to follow. How successfully have we balanced the compromising realities of partnership with fidelity to our own journey and our own natures? That's a naughty question. Naturally, we all make some mistakes. In relationship, we might have compromised too much, sometimes without even knowing or doing it. Or maybe we are so pig-headed and stubborn that we find meeting in the middle offensive. Along comes Uranus with your report card. Along comes the correction. We'll see how badly you need one. Illustration. A woman has been an obedient, pliant wife, sacrificing herself to the needs of her husband and her family to the point that she has become almost a phantom in her own world. Uranus hits her hard. Perhaps it truly feels like the Lord of Earthquakes and Lightning Bolts has entered her house of marriage. What happens? Maybe she blows up abandons the marriage, has an affair, moves to South America under an assumed name. Spectacular stuff, a major correction. And the fortune-telling astrologer is, of course, delighted by the accuracy of his or her over-the-top prediction. It works like that sometimes. But more likely, Given her demonstratively passive nature, this woman experiences the transit more internally, but in a dark way. She just gives up. She withdraws further into dissociation, another Uranian pitfall. She chooses to become a zombie in her own life, and maybe her husband doesn't notice a thing. Angels notice, and they weep. The underlying concept here is that she badly needed this Uranus transit. The evolutionary requirement it represented was pressing, so the fault line was locked and loaded, and the earthquake promised to be huge. And it was huge. In one scenario, she divorced. 
We just have to be sensitive to that possible inner earthquake, as well as the more pyrotechnical outward one. In this case, we obviously would not be looking at astrology failing, but what if the initial situation were far milder, and thus the necessary correction not so dramatic? That's what we need to consider here. Earlier, looking at the same Uranus transit, we imagined one partner telling the other that she was skipping their usual family vacation and going to a week-long astrology seminar instead. And her problem had no partner with that. He wanted to zoom off on a motorcycle anyway. In that case, the necessary Uranian corrections were far smaller and the evolutionary necessity simply less charged. Two wise humans simply make room for more individuality in their partnership. They are both happier and they love each other the more for it. No drama, no fuss. But remember, for the astrologer thinking Uranus in the seventh house means divorce, nothing happened. Now, moving on, there's yet another reason that astrology can seem to fail. Astrology itself is a work in progress. Most modern astrologers shudder at the thought of trying to practice our craft without any knowledge of Uranus, Neptune, or Pluto. In parallel fashion, I often think of the plight of our astrological forebears in ancient Greece, Egypt, or China, working before the invention of the clock. How could they do astrology properly with only a vague sense of time? They found ways to work around the problem, but I'm grateful myself to have a nice timed ascendant in any chart I contemplate. Going further, I've come increasingly to realize that it is a big mistake to leave Eris, a trans-Neptunian planet the size of Pluto, out of our thinking. But I admit I don't use it as much as I should, not yet at any rate. But I am a work in progress too. Up until maybe a dozen years ago, I didn't know much about declination. I shake my head as I think of all the readings I did for people born with the moon out of bounds without my knowing it, understanding it, or even mentioning it. The list goes on. The point is, I am sure there is an undiscovered list of astrological techniques and factors out there lurking in the future, waiting for onborn astrologers to come and find them. The system has always been and probably always will be a work in progress. Ain't that good news? For our purposes in this little essay, my next thoughts provide a twist on the main subject. What we have been exploring is what's going on when a known transit or progression seems to fail. Here, we look at the mirror image. What about when something happens in life, but there doesn't seem to be anything going on astrologically to explain it? That's another kind of astrology fails scenario. Any honest astrologer will acknowledge this reality. When it happens, 
Is there some exotic force at play, an undiscovered planet, for example? That is undoubtedly true sometimes. How could it possibly be otherwise? That there are undiscovered planets is a virtual certainty, and ditto that they have astrological meaning. There are ghosts in the astrological machine, for sure. But now for a little bit of lead in our shoes. When something happens without an astrological explanation, so to speak, the reason might possibly be a whole lot more prosaic. As an astrological teacher, when we can't see the astrology behind a big biographical event, my mind immediately goes to a less exotic understanding. I cannot count how many times I've heard a student say, oh, I never use solar arcs. Or, oh, I didn't notice that the moon had entered its balsamic phase. When astrology fails, have we just not looked hard enough at what was before our eyes in the chart? It's always a good question. Our present arsenal of astrological techniques is certainly incomplete, but it is already quite vast and impressively powerful, and it requires considerable effort to rise to a high level of skill in this craft. Most of the time, when an astrologer can't see the fingerprints of the planets on an accident or a new relationship or whatever, the explanation boils down to not looking hard enough. Well, we are almost done with our tour of astrology's alleged errors, but there's one more possibility to consider. Is the chart itself wrong? Astrology depends upon a long, complex chain of principles, and by far its weakest link is our dependency on accurate birth information. Without that, we're doomed. Even novice astrologers know to mistrust a birth time given as noon, for example, or to cringe when we hear that mom says it was around six o'clock. But even a birth time given as 7.22 p.m. can be misleading. What does the moment of birth actually specifically mean? Birth is complex. Takes a while. How accurate were the clocks on the walls? Now, when I was a teenager and starting to get interested in astrology, I asked my mom for my birth time. She confidently told me 6.11 a.m. Later, I found my baby book. Turns out I was born about three hours earlier, but I weighed six pounds and 11 ounces. Never, ever trust your own mother. <laughs> it is always possible that the source of a wrong prediction, even if we are wise enough to be predicting questions rather than answers, remembering symbolism is not literalism, is simply a wrong chart. Garbage in, garbage out, as they say in the world of commuting. It is, of course, a cheap trick to blame a wrong chart for our own errors. I believe fervently in free will but please never confuse it with bad astrological technique. When it seems that astrology is not working, do remember all the points we've already been exploring here. Still, if the errors are consistent and the chart seems not to fit, then beware, you may be working with bad data. 
Generally, such errors are matters of minutes. As such, they would not have much impact, for example, on the timing of a Uranus transit to the natal moon. A few minutes of error in a birth time isn't going to move the moon very far. But even a few minutes can move a house cusp significantly. The average there being about one degree of error in a house cusp for every four minutes of error in the time of birth. It can get a lot worse, though. In my experience with birth certificates and other records, it is not unusual for the numeral 1 to be transcribed in error as a 7. Worse, an AM might have been clerically mangled so it looks like a PM, producing a chart that's 12 hours off. Even the position of the moon would then be wrong by something like 6 degrees. And of course, everything would be in a totally wrong house. Now, those are penmanship mistakes, and obviously they are more of a peril for people born before, say, 1985 or so. Nowadays, birth records tend to be more computerized and typically entered via keyboards. Time will tell if the improved penmanship balances out the tendency towards sloppy data entry errors. Live and learn. I have had experiences where I was left confident that someone's parents had misled the child as to his or her birth date, for example, to conceal a pregnant bride. This is less of an issue nowadays, obviously, but it would be foolish to ignore it, especially with clients born before the social revolutions of the 1970s. Again, never trust your mother. That's fun to say, but it's also actually pretty good advice when it comes to birth information. Here's one more. Beware that 11-8-68 as a date means November 8th, 1968 to an American and August 11th, 1968 to a French person. That one has fouled me up more than once too. The bottom line is always take birth data with a grain of salt. If your predictions aren't working, that could be the cause of your problems. A helpful hint here, such errors would have to be consistent over many transits and progressions before you should take them seriously. If it happens only once in a chart that has otherwise proven reliable, go back and think about the possibilities we explored earlier. I will close here by echoing that, in my opinion, astrology itself never fails. The statement might sound arrogant, but I believe it. Now, as I contemplate its meaning, the power of it actually has the opposite effect from arrogance. It humbles me. I, the poor astrologer, have to try to live up to that challenge. In my bones, I know that the answer to a trusting client's most pivotal soul questions lies there before me on that single sheet of paper we call an astrological chart. Here she has come to me, counting on my wise counsel. And while astrology never fails, astrologers do. Me too. All I can do is practice as wisely and lovingly as I can within my own limits and to constantly struggle to press those limits further in the direction of truth and wisdom and skill. Add love and maybe some humility 
and it is a privilege and a joy to practice the sacred craft. Thank you.